I'm Agnes Kurtzels. I'm Whitney Winter. And my name is Claire Horning. Welcome to the Agnology Podcast. Welcome back to the Agnology Podcast. This week we spoke with Dr. Lindsay Docterman and we're discussing water quality issues as well as ag economics and agribusiness. I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Dr. Lindsay Docterman. Um, I am originally from Yankton, South Dakota. I um, got my bachelor's in business administration with a concentration in economics and a minor in marketing from Moorhead, or now it's called Uni- Minnesota State University More. Oh, whoa, Minnesota State University Moorhead. <laughs> and then I actually worked in the TV industry for about two years. Um, a little, not in production, but a little bit behind the scenes. And then after that, I went on to graduate school at Colorado State, where I got my master's and my PhD in agriculture and resource economics. And that's kind of my education background. So when did you come here, Toyn? What year? It was 2017. And you said, we were talking beforehand, you were at UNL before the pandemic hit? No, no, I was, um, so I wasn't, I didn't finish my introduction. I'm sorry about that. So I, I got my PhD in 2007, which was, there's a 10 year gap between my PhD and coming to Wayne. Um, I spent a year straight after that, I spent a year, um, teaching in New Zealand. And then I went for two years as a postdoctoral fellow in Sweden and did research there for two years. And then I went on to Alaska, love the North. And uh, taught there for a few years. And then I worked for an online-only university for about two years before I came back. I was coming full circle back closer to Yankton. Awesome. I started collaborating a little bit with UNL as a Wayne State employee. Okay. So can you talk about the agribusiness degree here on the campus? Yeah. So when I first joined, it was we've always had the agribusiness. It's a business administration degree with a concentration in agribusiness. We've always had that here. It's just the egg classes were mainly taught at Northeast Community College. And since I joined, we brought most of the classes back on campus. And we've I've been teaching some of the classes, and then we've found some adjuncts that are special specialists in certain areas. And so um, do you want me to talk about kind of the courses that are available? Yeah, yeah. that'd be good. Okay. Um, well, the students here at Wayne State get the joy of also having a little extra econ in their life because of my background. Um but we've got, let's see from memory if I can remember all the classes. So there's farm and ranch management class that's taught by someone that manages a farm and ranch. Um, there is an agri-policy class, agriculture policy, where we kind of dive into all the relevant policies. So that class was taught two years ago, and it won't look the same when we teach it again this coming spring because we try to keep it up to date with what's going on in the world. Then there is agricultural um, marketing and pricing where they get to simulate commodity marketing and bringing um, commodities to the market. And then we've got natural resource economics, which is a lot of my background, a lot where I came from with the water, um, water and land issues and all those types of things that go into an energy that go into agriculture. And then there's an economics of agriculture class where we look at, we kind of zoom out and look at the whole from farm to beyond the gate, see where everything goes, the whole thing. And then how many have we got in here? Oh, they take a management science class, which helps with input outputs and looking at, um, like, setting them up for a feed operation. I think that's it. I think that's almost all of them. I may have missed one. I think that's all of them. I'll probably think of one along the way. So you mentioned, um, like, you did some stuff with like, natural resources and um, water quality issues, I guess. So what, do you really, uh, what did you really do with that with your research with UNL? Um, well, a lot of my un, my graduate work 
in my graduate work when I was at Colorado State, I um, worked a lot with water quality and quantity issues. And so it was a lot of uh, work with trying to figure out the optimal amount of water to, because they have a huge, and Nebraska faces this too, where there's um, a lot of quantity issues. We don't always get all the water we need when we need it. And so doing a lot of um, modeling to try to maximize the output. And so I did a lot of that when I was in Colorado with looking at like an Arkansas River and looking at some other um, wells there. And when I started working with UNL, they were looking more into nitrates in the water. And I got interested in a whole other line of economics on my own, which is behavioral economics. And so I started working with some of the researchers there, thinking about nudging in ways to help um, farmers and decision makers try to change their practices to try to improve the water quality. But then the flood happened <laughs> and there were bigger problems. There was the problem of too much water and then the pandemic happened. And so everyone kind of had to deal with those things first. So you talked about reaching out to your own little space in economics. Can you discuss more about that? Oh, like how the students here get a little more econ in yeah. their life than they probably want? <laughs> yeah. The, um, when we modeled our egg, egg business program, we, we try to offer them, the students here, classes that they would see at a similar program like UNL or SDSU. Um, and then, but there's also, you could go in and get a degree in agribusiness or you can get one in egg econ. And so this one has a little bit of both. Um, yeah. So a lot of, so I, I don't, I'm really focused on taking economic concepts and being able to apply them. So to be able to see them in your decision-making process and also to see, like when we go look at policies, we look at how that impacts the market and your, bus your business decision-making as well. So coming at it through an economics lens. And I'm not the one that teaches all these classes. I, um, I'm, I focus more on the econ classes and get them to have different perspectives from other people in the area. And those are mostly like Intro classes or upper level? They're upper level. So okay. you have to have a, one of the principles of econ to, to get in. Like the natural resource and economic of agriculture class. Those are upper level. So you just need one or permission from your instructor, me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I try to I try to refresh everyone's mind and um, get them so we start from the scratch. But a lot of times uh, you'll start doing something, especially with math or business modeling or anything like that, and you don't remember why you're doing it or what it's for. And so I like to spend a lot of time trying to show why we're doing what we're doing and how it all connects. And do you work with the markets at all with your econ? The commodity marketing class is taught by someone else that does okay. the like futures and grains. Yeah. I'm more the bigger picture. And when you say bigger picture, like focus on the U.S. or like just Nebraska or? Um, both. We will look at, we look at, um, like right now in my economic of agriculture class, we've gotten down to looking at costs and profits and decision making like that. But now we're going to start zooming out and looking at um, government policies and how they impact farmers. And then we'll look at international trade okay. as well. They don't. There's not a, a stri straight class of international for them, but I try to bring it into some of it because it is a huge impact on, on the market. What kind of policies are you talking about right now? Um, well, in this in this class, we just we it's kind of an overview of everything. The egg policy class that will be taught in the spring will be the one that we'll look at, and so we'll look at the farm bill, 
And um, this, so this is still a fairly new program, and it, all the courses were taught every other year. And so the first time that the egg policy class was taught was spring of 2020, which we all remember. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so uh, what we were doing in there then, and what we'll probably start doing in spring of 2022, is we we dug into, we looked at the farm bill, and we looked at like some of the details, and we went straight to the source to kind of see how they look at it. And then you, we also looked at a lot of, um, from there, I let everyone pick. I really like, because a lot of the students come from a lot of different backgrounds. Some have zero agriculture background, and they are just really interested in it. And some have been raised on a farm their whole life, and that's probably where they may go back. And so I like to try to make sure that they can focus on what's interesting to them, as well as some of these econ classes. They're econ students who have maybe no interest in agriculture. So there's a lot of individual projects where they learn these tools that they can then apply to their their um, their special topic, like someone's talking about honeybees, or I have someone looking into um, mental health for um, farmers. Uh, we've had someone that's done big research on government involvement in the cheese market. So it's kind of, I mean, and then you still, we still have corn, soybeans, livestock, and everything that's true to Nebraska, but it's a lot of, uh, a lot of variety. But with the policies, I help them try to find other ones too. There's a lot of, um, consumer pot like nutrition snap and how that impacts the market and there's a variety of both supply and demand policies that we get into can you talk about the farm bill just for some of the listeners that might not be aware of what it all entails just like a brief overview so the farm bill went into law in 2018 and it's going to be good until 2023 and it's a very broad um, it's a very broad bill with the USDA and it looks at things like commodity. So it looks at marketing for products such as dairy. Um, dairy is one one market that does get a lot of support and it also gets a lot of interaction with international trade. Like with our, U- our recent USMCA agreement with Canada and Mexico, there was some more, um, that was kind of a sticking point with that agreement as well. Then there's conservation, the CRP, which is common a lot of times where they... Um, pay to set aside certain parts of land to kind of reduce supply to try to help the, the prices. But that's not one of them. That's one of many. And then trade to try to help um, with trade, trying to promote trade or facilitate trade. And then the um, credit to help farmers with loans, set that up. Rural development, even like bringing, it can include things like rural development and bringing the internet to rural areas, which is probably going to be more common now. Research, forestry, energy, horticulture, it covers a lot of things, but the one in crop insurance, the one piece that is a huge proportion of the farm bill that I don't have the statistic, but it does make up the majority of the farm bill is food safety and nutrition, like the um, school lunches and things like that. That is also, it's not just, farm is kind of a deceiving name for it. It's I think called the agricultural investment. I don't, I don't remember that. I've used farm bill, which is so wrong. (laughs) But yeah, it is It is a lot more than that. It goes all the way into how we feed the children in the school. I think it's called the Agricultural Improvement Act. There we go. I wanted to say investment. It's called the Agricultural Improvement Act. Thank you. So, you know, with COVID, how do you think that's going to affect um, everything with economics and agriculture? They've still been doing just fine. 
they've been having um, the prices have been good and everything's been going going well. I think um, because it's a lot of outside stuff. I know when it first happened, when COVID first happened, I there's a lot that's happened in the last year that when you start to think back, you don't realize it's all happened. But right when COVID happened, more than anything, not so much COVID, but when we had to shut down, um, the meat pro- like the the processing plants had a lot of outbreaks. And so those had to, that was a huge bottleneck in the supply chain. And the other thing was with schools, because schools, like elementary schools, because they are a huge consumer of milk. And so that really was a a stopgap and and it really um, caused a lot of problems with the dairy market. We talked about in one of our last podcasts that there was a dairy farmer that had so much milk extra, he was using it to put on his crops. Yeah, he was using it as a fertilizer on his fields. Well, yeah. I mean, I've heard that they some some dairy farmers were just dumping it out, so that's good that they found an extra yeah. use for it. Yes. Like, I was just talking to my class today about um, some policies that were put in place way back, like Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, about protecting the dairy market. And it was, you know, um, farmers try to price support by buying the surplus, but when it's milk you can't hold it for very long. And so mm-hmm. then there it became this kind of this domino effect of all of a sudden we have so much cheese. And so there's a huge, that, that I sparked that convert or I sparked that idea in one of my students' minds last or spring of 2020 that went into a huge paper on the government cheese history and how there, he was very fascinated. <laughs> it's, wow. a, it's a very interesting uh, story to look at, like just the impact of, government policy and how it can it can in influence what's done so far into the future. Would you share some of your insight of working uh, internationally with other topics and issues? Sure. Um, when I graduated, my first job was, well, I, I was teaching in some school, I was teaching in the um, front range of Colorado, but my first real job after getting done with my PhD was to take a, I had a one-year position at this university in, Massey University in New Zealand, and one of the reasons that they were attracted to bringing me down there was I had done some research in water quality, and there was a huge um, legal case that was happening with uh, water rights and the issue of water in New Zealand, but by the time I got there, they had it resolved. (laughs) So nothing. So I was there to teach, but also to help with this legal case that never happened. Um, but <laughs> but legal like water is an issue that is um, it has a lot of legal ramifications, especially in the Western United States. And so it's something that's pretty interesting. There's lawyers that specify just in water. Um, yes, absolutely. And economists that just look at water problems solely because it is, there's not a lot of it out West. And so it can cause a lot of problems. And it's um, water rights. A lot of times like out West, it's whoever was there first has the right to the water, which as an economic point of view, where we want to see what's most efficient, it's not the most efficient Mm -hmm. thing ever. So it's, it's, uh, it's a really fascinating problem. Um, And then after my year of teaching in New Zealand, I took a job for two years as a postdoc in Sweden. And it was, um, they had a major windstorm and they don't have water problems, but I, I was more interested in the overall natural resource problems, but they had a major windstorm in like 2008 and it knocked down all these trees and like entire forests, flattened some forests and they didn't know what to do. And so to try to um, break down the different silos and the different departments mm-hmm. in their in their area, they hired a postdoc to represent each area. 
And then we were kind of um, an experiment to see if we would work together. So I worked with, I was hired as the economist, and I worked with an ecologist, a landscape planner, and a forester or a silviculturist. And we um, just kind of got to work together for two years as an experiment to see how we could do multidisciplinary research as a way to kind of show as an example those that had been there longer um, how you can do multidisciplinary research. So we were free to work with like I could work with the economists in my department as much as I wanted or I could work with these um, three other people and just try to look at uh, climate change and um, issues with the forest because they forests like forest management and private forest private forestry is a huge a huge industry in Sweden that's where Ikea came from <laughs> so yes that's that's a big that's a big driver of a lot a lot of that so it was a really interesting experience and it was something that I, I started doing a little bit of work with the forest forest management up in Alaska as well do you ever foresee yourself going back to any of these places or to another place internationally to do research or are you more focused on teaching right now? Um, more focused on teaching. I do have the travel bug, though. Now that we're, whenever we're told we're not supposed to do something, that's when you want to do it more. <laughs> so I definitely I definitely would like to go back and, um, and visit. But um, no, definitely teaching has been where I've started going for sure. Do you see a problem um, in the future of like water quality or quantity with Ogallala Aquifer in the Midwest? Yes, I've I um yes, it can be a problem. Like I was, if you look at a map and you were to, and if you um out there in the podcast world want to Google the hundredth meridian, it is it is a measurement of the latitude. Wait, latitude, longitude, longitude, um, to measure part of the globe and it is it goes right down the middle of nebraska the dakotas nebraska kansas all the way through to texas but it is um, a clear indicator of water the water quantity in the u.s and you if you were to fly over a low-level plane and you looked at the landscape it would be totally green in the east and once you hit that you would know when you hit the hundredth meridian because it would be just brown or you would that's where you would start to see um, irrigation you know you'd start to see maybe central pivot so you start to see um round crops and things like that from above but that is um there has been research that is starting to show that it's starting to move over to the 99th meridian which is east and it's starting to um with these some of these more um dramatic storms and i know like two years ago we wouldn't think that that would be a thing but it is it is definitely happening especially when um population centers start to grow too but yeah the the water the water quantity can be a thing and then we just need the water and then at that point then we can talk about water quality issues but (laughs) but yeah some of the stuff with UNL that I was able to work with is they were they were trying to prove that groundwater and surface water were actually connected and they fed into each other and that was something that was a little novel to to the EPA so they're starting to work more on that one of like one of my research projects that I was doing, I did a couple little research projects, but one of them that I did in Colorado was that a lot of states have compacts or agreements with each other, and there's a, the Arkansas River that flows uh, southeast from Colorado into Kansas, and there's an agreement that Colorado has to provide so much water 
to Kansas and then they're starting they were starting to realize that it was getting foamy and like kind of gross um, but really it was not because it wasn't because you would think someone was just out there dumping chemicals it was actually just the natural salinity or salt level of the soil and so when a farmer would pull it out and irrigate their crop and then it would leach back into the lake it would just bring or the river it would just bring more salt and so it just kept mm-hmm. causing the problem to happen more and more and so I was in charge of trying to solve it and it was not there was using like complex like math complex mathematical optimization models and it was just it was there was nothing you could Nothing you can do. Nothing you can really do about it. I mean, there in there is something you can do, but you can't say that because it's it's like you got to just let the river flow. But we need the water, so yeah, it was kind of a catch twenty two. And there's there's the joke in Colorado. There's the goal is you never want you never want the water to get to the ocean or to California. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I know that quite a few years ago, people were talking about processing salt water from the oceans and then using that and taking it into the uh, center of the United States and using that for irrigation. Is that a viable option anytime soon, do you think? I'm not sure. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, I I mean, because the water, especially in the West, is so legally tied up that there's not a lot of um, water left to be taken. That you, That is like the only way you can bring more water in but that's about yeah i don't know how i've heard of that too where they try that if they could figure out how to like desalinize or whatever desalt the water that would solve a lot of problems but i don't know if it's totally developed yet i know it's a pro in progress but yeah how did you get interested in economics oh that's good this is good i um (laughs) When I was an undergrad, I did not know what I wanted to do, and I changed my major every semester. And then it was about my junior year, and I had taken a summer class because I didn't have the best of grades either. And so I was making up for some past mistakes. And I took a summer class in macroeconomics. And I remember I got like a B minus. And I told, um, and then I had to take micro. And I was talking one of my the econ professors. He he said you got a B minus from that guy. That's like the equivalent of an A plus. And so he um, was a big salesperson on me trying to take more classes. And so I took one another one, and it just kind of econ is one of those things. It's not you get it or you don't. It was just one of those things that kind of came to me pretty early. Like it made sense to me. Um, but it is like a, a second language. It can be because it, it's a different way to view the world. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, I was in my junior year and I, it wasn't that I didn't let the grade dictate it, but I did enjoy it. And so I kept taking classes in it. And um, by the end of the, the four and a half years, that's what I had was business econ with some marketing. <laughs> but I was definitely in, in, interested in um, the environment around me and the natural resource and the scientific and agricultural side. Because I grew up in Yankton. I didn't I didn't grow up on a farm, um, but I grew up in a farming community for sure. So, okay. yeah. Was the farming community more um, livestock or like corn soybean uh, oriented? Uh, livestock. Okay. Definitely livestock. We've got stockmen's up there. So, yeah, in the area. Yeah, I'm from Corridge, so we'll go up to Yankton to shop. And a couple years ago when they put that big seal barn in it, it really helped them too. Mm-hmm. And then local meat lockers where you can go get your 
but yeah, we we never farmed because we have friends that farmed, and so mm-hmm. we would just I, a lot of times we don't buy meat at the grocery store. We just go buy part of a cow. <laughs> yeah, my mom is uh, she has six other siblings, and we just butchered six whole cattle wow. for everyone to split. Have. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I live down in South Central in Sutton. And our family is spread across. Like, there's one in Chicago, in Texas, um, Pawnee City, which is kind of near here, um, Omaha, just a little bit everywhere. So, yeah, yeah, no, once you have a hamburger from one cow, it's yeah, life changing. <laughs> You'll never go back. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially when you get like all the meat in bulk, and then it's like, well, I don't have to go to the grocery store for meat for a while. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, there was there was one thing that came up like I um, the the egg biz program at Wayne State has been growing quite fast. And so we are currently in the process of hiring another egg biz faculty. So right now it has been adjunct. You know, there's a few like the farm and ranch. I know my weaknesses and I know I don't want to shortchange the students. So there's farm and ranch management in the commodity marketing class. Um, and so some of those classes are going to, we're hope, hoping by fall to have an, another face to the egg biz program. Well, that's awesome to hear that yeah. more agribusiness people are coming to Wayne to study. So mm-hmm. we love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think what, there's only three ag centered degrees on campus, right? Yeah. I think there's egg communications, agribusiness. What's the third one? Ag engineering. Uh, there we go. There we there. go. I know so it's a technical one. I know this fall there's going to be a commercial drone class. It's not directly tied to, it's through the business wow. department, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's called commercial drone fundamentals, which is a good, I don't know, It's it, if you're interested in wanting to use drones for your production, that's good. And I've talked to, I was also working with uh, Dr. Bruflat. And he, it was his idea. This is 100% his idea. And he was thinking of trying to do a, a class, a special topics class in Spanish for agriculture. Um, so we'll see post-pandemic. That would be really helpful too. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll see what, what happens after that. But I think it's starting to filter into other areas. And a lot of faculty, um, if you talk to them, have are from agricultural backgrounds. I think that wraps up our interview for today. Thank you for coming and talking with us. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. We wanted to thank Dr. Lindsay Docterman again for being on our podcast, but we're going to go and talk a little bit more about uh, ag business and ag marketing. So just to start with, the agriculture marketing system, all the parts include farming, storage, transportation, processing, wholesale, and marketing and retailing. So uh, agriculture marketing is defined from a macro or social perspective. I guess it's defined as the performance of all business activities involved in the forward flow of food and fiber from farm producers to consumers. And then the micro or individual perspective is agriculture marketing is a flow of goods and services to customers and the accomplishing the objectives of a particular firm such as a farmer or ag business. So I th- I was really surprised that ag economics is like a social science. 
because I I don't know when when I think of it I think of math and then I just think of like hard sciences so and I know like a lot of people take business classes in high school but ag business is kind of like business but it's a little different because it's kind of its own niche so it has certain intricacies I guess you would say that you need to learn specifically in order to kind of navigate it and work well in that environment Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more, I guess, trading just because it's based on commodities. The people used to go to like a trading house and like trade in person, but now it's more you're basically selling these bushels online. Point is, it's moving more virtual than in person. Yeah. Business classes are focused on the math side whereas you pointed out like agriculture economics a lot of it also has to do with the different like transportation and products but the processing places and stuff like that so a lot of times we've mentioned with dr doctorman through covid we haven't really seen a lot of changes through the markets until like at the very beginning where a lot of the processing houses were closing down so we saw a lot of price spikes because of that and then eventually it kind of like tapered out and now we're also seeing a little bit of an increase because there was a little bit of a scare there for a food shortage which isn't wasn't very reasonable I guess because COVID cases are kind of going back down and processing plants had been hit early on so you're seeing workers coming back. I would also say a difference but another difference between like regular business and um Ag econ classes is also like the place you're exchanging on because a lot of business classes focus on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange. So actually, I took an ag business class in high school. And the like three things I remember from it are when you're like out on the sales floor, or whatever you want to call it, I guess you I remember three things and so you have to say those things. And you have to wear a bright colored coat. So people will see you and pay attention to you when you say those things and then there's also like certain hand signals that you use to like indicate like how like the quantities of what you're doing and then like other other stuff that you need to communicate to there's like a whole sheet of hand signals that you have to know so just some interesting facts asl for ad commodities (laughs) yeah a little yeah (laughs) well for so something like I mentioned, I took the class in high school. Well, we we took it right before um, the pandemic hit. So like I was still in classes when we were sent home in March. Well, uh, in this particular class, we actually did like a simulation where we bought and then sold our soybeans and corn on the market, market right? Yeah. But it was a really good experience because basically you grew your corn or soybeans in this virtual reality and you could see like the weather patterns and everything like that to determine the projected uh what do you want to call it harvest rate Mm -hmm. and then you would get like a projected harvest bushel amount or whatever and then you could do all those like short long buying and selling on this open market and like we were all competing as like classmates with each other which was interesting because like at the end of every week you would see like who made the most money, who lost money and everything like that. Yeah. But it was a really cool, um, I don't know, activity. Yeah. yeah. In our class, we had a couple of different kind of competition activities like that. Um, so we, de- we had to look on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. I think it was every day or every couple of days. And we would have to keep track of like a certain product that we wanted to do. So I think I did like winter wheat for mine. So we had to kind of um, mark down where the market was at and keep track of it. And then we also um, had different like 
trades that we did. So we did like futures trades. We did like, I can't remember. Are they called like hedge trades or yeah, something like hedge that? Hedge trades. Yeah, we did those as well. And just kind of the different types of trades. And we had to like try and see who could make the most money off of their corn. So um, we also had to keep track then of like the local co-ops and what the prices were there to make our trades and do that. So that was kind of fun because it was like a really locally focused kind of activity. And then our last activity was <laughs> we we all downloaded the same video game. I think it's called like Farmers 2020 or something oh, like farm, that. Farm Simulator 2020? No, it wasn't Farm Simulator. It's just like... I couldn't tell Just you. Just like a I marketing one. Yeah, like I couldn't tell you what it was called, but we all had these little farms, and you had to like um, grow all this stuff and like put in irrigators and buy new equipment. And so <laughs> whoever like made the most money and got the most levels the fastest was going to be the winner. And I think I made it through like ten levels in one day. Wow. And, but, <laughs> and my teacher was like, "Okay, yeah, you can you can stop now, Claire. It's you've been on your phone too much." <laughs> Well, I think, like, we had to do that for our simulation or whatever, where we, like, we had to fulfill a certain amount of, like, different types of trades and a different types of trading and everything, just so that we would, you know, experience that or understand it better. Mm-hmm. And it did. It helped, un- it helped me, at least, understand the better basics of trading. <laughs> I still couldn't tell you how to go about doing anything like that, but at least I have a better basic understanding see a basic understanding is sometimes enough though because there's people who are experts and that's their whole job is to understand how to do that and when to do it and how to follow it so really if you just kind of know the basics that's going to help you talk to that person and relate with them and understand what they're telling you while still kind of letting you kind of give them the reins of it so you're not having to have the pressure to do it yourself and you can put trust in the person who you know is going to do a good job for you. Yeah. My high school didn't have anything like that, so I'm going to... That honestly kind of surprises me, though. Yeah. Well, it sounds really fun that you guys did for your business <laughs> classes and commodity classes. Did your like did your school offer like any ag business or like any ag class that had ag business in it? No, the only ag stuff they had was... Like um, welding and floriculture, horticulture kind of classes like that, which was more geared towards uh, FFA-oriented yeah. learning. They didn't have, like, anything implemented for... There's a there's an FFA competition for ag business, though, because I yeah. took the test yeah. for it. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's actually a pretty good competition to get in. Um, but, again, if you don't have, like, the team, then you're not really going to have the classes, I guess, because I don't really remember if we had an ag business class at my high school, um, just because, like, we had, you know, three ag teachers in four years, so I don't think we really had an ag business class. I know we touched on it in, like, some of the other ag classes I was in, but we never like went in depth as I did in my like actual ag business and you didn't commodities class. You have like a class. specific curriculum for it. It was yeah. just touched on in like more generalized yeah. classes. Yeah, like and if we weren't like in the competition, we didn't study it. So that's fair. So let's transition over, eh? Yeah, uh, I guess we can. We're gonna talk about water quality issues and just water quality in general. So I actually at Northeast also again took a beef feedlot class and in that class we talked about different regulations and everything that they have to follow which also includes 
different guidelines that they have to follow to protect the natural water resources around. But this, it's Title 130, it's the Nebraska Department of Environmental Quality. The one that we looked through was from 2011. So it's probably changed a little bit since then, hopefully, to get, you know, a little bit better. But basically, it's just a book for, like, feedlots and um, other confinement operations to follow. So it's like a manual, in a sense? Yeah, Or yes. like a set of guidelines? It's a set of guidelines that they have to follow, otherwise yeah. they can face, you know, fines or being shut down. Okay. Um, but it has a section about water quality, because obviously... Through these confinement systems and just farming practices, you have runoff, you have waste runoff, you have fertilizers in general and, and all pesticides. And seeps into the ground and seeps into the water. Yeah. Well, and some of it's just runoff and it goes into like ditches mm-hmm. and um, creeks and stuff. So it's really important with all of these guidelines that people, you know, follow them because, you know, it's to protect our natural environment. And it's really important that we keep the groundwater at a healthy I don't know, healthy level level of nitrates because otherwise we face these problems of, you know, like blue baby syndrome and everything like that. What's blue baby syndrome? (laughs) So blue baby syndrome is basically like when a uh, toddler or whatever, basically like a person baby. Yeah. A person baby or older person, like if they drink water that has is too high in nitrates, it can harm them. It can turn them blue. Because of, like, lack of, lack of oxygen, I like think. A, so it's like a blue compared to jaundice. Yeah. Yeah, like, have okay. you ever have you ever seen someone um, with, like, really cold hands all the time and they're kind of, like, blue and they look like they hurt? No, not really. Well, you haven't lived. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it, it's just the water is too high in nitrates and it can cause health problems. I did gotcha. not know that could happen. So thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> That's why out in the country, they recommend you get your water tested like every so many years. Oh, that's why when we go to the doctors, they give us the pamphlet to like test our well water. Yeah. Whoa. We don't get that kind of pamphlets. Well, you don't go to a good doctor. <laughs> well, because um, like you're also supposed to, uh, so, excuse me, you're also supposed to check your well water for like um, just bacteria in yeah, general. Contaminants. And, I think iron, you usually check. pH, You, I know you check. That's one of the basic tests mm-hmm. they give you. Um, and then nitrates and phosphorus, probably. Do you have um, any more to tell us about? Um, well, I... Mm, so the water in Nebraska, obviously, we're over the Ogallala Aquifer. Um, there's seven aquifers actually layered under Nebraska. Wow. The Ogallala, jeez, why I can't speak today. The Ogallala is just uh, the biggest one. So where are the other ones, like, by the Ogallala, or are they kind of more east? So they're layered. Oh, so they're just, like, under or above it. Yeah. Oh. Makes sense. (laughs) Makes sense. Okay, so I found an article on the USDA's Natural Resource Conservation Service, um... It's talking about an Ogallala Aquifer initiative um, from 2011 to 2018. And it was basically um, to target local efforts to conserve water. And so um, in the article, it says the overall goal was to reduce withdrawals of water and support local projects that demonstrate how agriculture can be productive and sustainable in the Ogallala region. So basically, again, going back to kind of our recurring theme with sustainability is that 
we need to have efficient agriculture, but we also need to be environmentally aware and not drain the resources we need um, for later, for future generations. And that's a really big thing is the Oglala right now, or at least um, previously, according to this article, um, is being drained at an unsustainable rate. And that's going to be really harmful in the future. And I know another problem that goes along with the aquifers, like Agnes was mentioning earlier, a lot of fertilizers, pesticides, runoff, contaminants get in there pretty easily when they penetrate the soil and somehow make their way in there. So again, making sure that that water that's down there is A, enough water and B, clean water that can be used for ag purposes or just for people to drink in general. Right. Well, and um, obviously we have not been the best at keeping our waterways healthy and safe. Because, I mean, you look back even, you know, 50 years ago, people were dumping extra chemicals into their ditches. And I know there's still some places around here where people do that and they get in trouble because it's against the law. But back then it wasn't. So you had a lot of um, careless waste being poured into ditches and it was causing a really big impact on the environment and around here, especially toward um, Pierce and Pierce County. You're seeing a large algae bloom uh blue algae i think but it's it's really dangerous because that's like the type of algae that it's really hard to get rid of because the nitrates in the water are so high is that algae like toxic as well or yeah. it, it can make you sick can it, can, it it can make you sick because like especially when it's in full bloom they're like do not go let your it. don't go like don't go swimming in it don't let yeah. your dogs go in it or anything like that just because, again, it's not healthy, and now we're facing consequences of people not doing the correct thing in the environment. But um, like you mentioned with the Ogallala, it covers 174,000 square miles. Now, obviously, that's probably changed a bit from whenever the survey was taken, because Nebraska is, we're number one in irrigation. We're number one in pivot irrigation, specifically, which is a double-edged sword, right? It's good and bad because it's good because we found a way to get the increase, water. Well, yeah, to get the water and increase our yields, but it's bad because we're using an unnecessary amount, mm-hmm. especially right now when you're seeing, I guess not right now, but a couple, not even a couple, a few years back when corn prices were so high, everybody tore out their CRP fields and their hay fields and planted it to corn. And then now you have ton of corn that needs to be irrigated and so you you see people putting in irrigation and that's more people drawing from this not so small resource but it's getting smaller and then along with that especially when it's drier outside or it's a drought season there's a lot more water that comes out of the aquifer with not a lot being put back in which is kind of a dangerous mix as well yeah and again going back to your point nebraska is not the only state that has access to the aquifer but it we're kind of the one who uses it the most to my knowledge well nebraska is basically all um above the aquifer but the aquifer also touches a little bit in wyoming um about half of kansas the panhandle of oklahoma the panhandle of texas and then uh a little bit of new mexico and colorado Mm -hmm. and a part of south dakota just a small bit yeah just a tiny bit uh toward their uh, uh southwest corner like it used to go down farther in texas 
and farther over in yeah. Oklahoma and everything, but because, again, we were using it and everything else within the environment, including, you know, greenhouse emissions and climate change, we're seeing that it's decreasing because it, again, like you mentioned, we're using it faster than it's being re- uh, renewed, I guess. Mm-hmm. Replenished. replenished. Thank you. <laughs> Renewed makes sense, but I think replenished is a more accurate word for the situation. (laughs) But yeah, but to add on to that, like, I don't know if you guys have seen this, but I've seen a lot of like the pictures from like the aquifer from like way back when and then kind of to recent and just how much shrinkage has really happened is kind of scary to look at, to be honest. Like it's a little unsettling how how like especially how just quickly it's drained compared to what it used to be even 50 or 100 years ago. Yeah. Also because we weren't using it in the smartest of ways. We were overusing it, which helped deplete it so quickly. Mm-hmm. But again, like that wasn't necessarily anyone's fault because we didn't really have the technology or the knowledge to consider the repercussions of what was happening Mm -hmm. it was just kind of this is convenient so this is what we're going to do but now we have you know the consciousness to say hey instead of just dumping myself in a ditch I'm going to take it to some place that can take care of it or um, instead of going full pivot irrigation on all of my stuff, maybe I'll invest in some drip irrigation systems and help mm-hmm. conserve water that way. So it's really kind of balancing financial needs with, again, conservation and letting people have access to the aquifer for a long time to come. Well, yeah. and I think a lot of people forget that we're in the Great Plains. Our average rainfall is 20 inches in like a season, right? So when we're putting like we we finally have irrigation right so we can finally grow this tropical plant corn i'm I'm talking about corn and it's a tropical plant so it needs more than 20 inches and we're getting to a point where we're you know going back into a you know drought season Mm because last year we were in a drought i think we mentioned it in another episode where i think nebraska has uh about 80 percent drought and then Iowa is about 90% I think. Yeah I'm pretty sure that's about what that article said. But you're seeing people using irrigation which is fine but we're not thinking that there's hundreds and thousands of farmers using irrigation. I mean we're they're obviously not all in the aquifer like some of them hit land or sorry groundwater well before it hits the aquifer but it's still the groundwater. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important we remember why the regulations are in place. I have more notes, obviously. I keep all of my notes. But it's like, especially with surface water, the point source is uh, eutrophication, which is basically when the surface water gets too much nutrients in it. So like nitrogen, phosphorus, uh, potassium. Potassium usually doesn't cause that but like an example is the eutrophication in the gulf of mexico like there's this area in the gulf of mexico where nothing lives Mm -hmm. like fish die if they go there like it's awful and you can't do anything yeah i took environmental concerns last year and i remember reading about that and i was like that is so wild yeah it's crazy because there's not much you can really do besides like 
take the water, treat it, and put it back. You know, like, but there's that, not much like, you can do. That, but realistically speaking, if you're in the Gulf of Mexico, you can't actually do that. No, you can't. That's a... That's tons and tons and tons of water, and there's no way you could realistically move it, treat it, and put it back. Yeah, and it's unfortunate that it ever happened, but it happened, and now we have to deal with the consequences of this one area, specifically a basically dead zone. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that will grow there is algae, because the algae is, you know, feeding off of everything else. But it's the good algae? Yeah. No. But it's the blue algae I think you were talking Uh, about earlier. Gotcha. Which, um seen it locally here in pierce because i knew it because she was talking about nitrates and then Mm -hmm. she said nitrates again so i Mm -hmm. connected the dots in my head you see um another location is the chesapeake excuse me chesapeake bay area isn't that like in new englandish no or my delaware Delaware. that's in new england like up there new england (laughs) sure is that not where new england is I don't know. Isn't Delaware part of that? Sure. I thought it was. <laughs> the 13 colonies is yeah. what I'm referencing. And I'm pretty sure Delaware was in the 13 colonies. Yes, it was. But go on. Oh, sorry. Uh, but <laughs> basically, it's the same thing. It has eutrophication. There's too many nitrate built up in it. And there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And again, there's not much you can really do except um, let the algae do its job. But that has its own repercussions. Nebraska and I was really biggest people that are blamed for the eutrophication in the gulf of mexico um because it's it because it's runoff from the missouri river yeah is what it's from so it's like the delta or whatever you call Mm -hmm. it where the delta where the missouri river meets um the gulf and that's where the eutrophication happens is that how you say it eutrophication that's where it happens because all of the pollution runoff the bad stuff we were talking about earlier just collects there and then it you know, gathers and gathers and gathers until there's an irreversible problem. Yeah. Well, and, like, there's maps you can look up, and they're really good at explaining the different runoffs because, obviously, most of the rivers around here connect eventually to the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. So you have basically all of Nebraska, South Dakota, even some of Montana, and, like, that general area. It all goes into the Mississippi, which then goes down to the Missouri Basin. Yes. Which um, some sources say it's about 18,000 square kilometers worth. Yeah, that's a lot. lot. (laughs) Which is, um, I think they're roughly the size of like New Jersey, if that's a comparison. If Um, you can visualize. But then uh, there's like uh, Minnesota and Iowa, and then a little bit of like Illinois. All connected, and that goes to Missouri Basin. So, theoretically, right, the biggest contributors right there are Would Nebraska be, and Iowa yeah. because mm-hmm. we're the biggest um, agriculture mm-hmm. farming, like corn, soybeans, mm-hmm. everything like Center. that. Center. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, realistically speaking, it was probably more than just those particular places and that definitely. particular yeah, field that contributed, just so we keep in mind some realistic numbers here we're definitely not ragging on anyone and no there's definitely some exaggeration happening with that with that um interpretation of those numbers i would say but it's definitely probably a contributor but not the only Source, contributor yeah. yeah it's just those nebraska and iowa are just the they get the most blame mm-hmm. i'm not saying that they are the most to blame but they get the most blame yeah a lot of that is just from 
way back 1800s, 1830s, when the uh, Dust Bowl and Great Depression started. Again, when we didn't know the repercussions. Yeah, we didn't know. And there was a lot happening, to be fair. Yes, (laughs) there was a lot happening, and a lot of it was caused by um, farming practices that were not sustainable and not environmentally friendly. But we didn't know, and we didn't really care. You said the Dust Bowl was in 1830s? Try 1930s. Ni- oh, did I say 18? Ni- yeah. I'm sorry. I thought she I'm said 13. 19. I didn't catch no, that. No, you said the 18, and then you're like 1830s, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm that is that is not right. I thought I said the 1930s. Yeah. I didn't catch that. But yeah, we're talking about the 1930s Dust Bowl. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and the 1930s, uh, into the 1920s and 1930s, there was a really big drought. And then we had a couple years of rain, and then it went right back into a drought for a good 10 years through the 30s into the 40s. And then we finally, you know, got caught up a little bit with the rain, but we didn't have, and thankfully we learned from that and got better at just land management and tilling and plowing and learning that the shortcut isn't always the best way. Yeah. And we used the use of cover crops also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, tree... Not removing all the trees. <laughs> well, there were no trees to begin with. Yeah. That's true. So, But still not removing the natural grasses that have been holding the yeah. soil there for literally probably <laughs> millions of years. Yeah. And then all that loose dirt is, like, they, it just, again, they just didn't think about that. Like, that wasn't a conscious thing well, of, I'm going to dig up this gr- grass to plant crops, not... not thinking of the repercussion of now all this soil that's been held down by that for so long well, is going to be looser. But mm-hmm. they were driven by money. That's what I'm saying. Isn't yeah. everything? Well, yeah. Well, you, you're, not you're not wrong. wrong. But thankfully, we, we've we learned from that. Like, they, the government put out a bunch of different policies, and we had people, the government paying people to plant tree breaks and mm-hmm. everything like that, and having people try and try to replant the grasses which was not very successful because, again, you had two to three inches of topsoil completely gone. And it takes, I think, a thousand years for one inch of topsoil to yeah. be replenished. Be replenished. Yeah. That's, so yeah. that's why you don't just theoretically speaking, right, clear it out at once. <laughs> well, yeah, theoretically speaking, though, the topsoil hasn't even gotten a third of the way. Oh, yeah, no, because yeah. that's not that's that's 90. <gasps> that was almost ago. 100 years ago now, you guys. Yeah. My great-grandma was alive during that time. I'm sure mine was, too. Well, I'm she's still sure alive. all of ours. Oh, oh, oh. Well, no, that's <laughs> never mind. <laughs> she's yeah. still alive and kicking. Well, that's how uh, my great-great, I think, I don't know. I don't know how many greats are in there. That's how my family got their farm through mm. the Great Depression. Gotcha. Because the Corridge Bank went out of business. Well, good for them. Ooh. Well, there was two banks in Corridge, and he had money in both banks. Mm-hmm. But the one bank was uh, foreclosing because Great Depression. Uh-huh. And <laughs> he was like, okay, you can keep my money and I'll pay you a little bit to have this land. And they were like, deal, <laughs> sold. Nice. Here's yes. land. So, Agnes, yeah. your family straight up finessed that person. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. But uh, yeah, when I first learned that, I was like, but yeah, um, being environmentally conscious is so important uh it really frustrates me like now when i'm seeing like a bunch of people tearing out these uh tree breaks and burning them and mm-hmm. i'm like did we not did learn we not learn <laughs> there's a reason they were there i understand it's annoying to combine or plant around them 
but in the long run, maybe it's better it to have them there. It was there for a reason. Well, and again, like I had a teacher. He would always tell us, trees are a resource. They're meant to be harvested. And it's like, that's fine, but we need to replant that yes. resource. But also, they're a resource that needs to continue to be harvested. <laughs> and those trees and grassy areas surrounding the creeks are very important. They're habitats. Well, they're habitats, yeah. and they're very important for filtering that water. Uh-huh. Uh, because, again, people are, you know, taking care of the soil includes putting fertilizer on it. And when we're using a liquid fertilizer, or a liquid chemical, or anything like that, it's going to run off. Mm-hmm. It's not if, it's when yeah. mm-hmm. and how much. So, again, it's just it's frustrating to me because it's like we didn't learn from our mistakes. Okay. And that's, again, we've changed other farming techniques. So it's not like, it's not like it's, you know, life or death. It's just that, you know, maybe having two backups is better than having one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were talking about um, runoff, and I was just going to say that that's why you don't, like, put fertilizer or pesticides or like insecticide on anything if it's supposed to rain soon yeah because then it'll just wash off and go to the waterways and that's a hurting the waterways and b a waste of your money for putting it on there because it's not going to do anything if it's gone Mm -hmm. well i i definitely recommend if you're really wanting to what the guidelines are that farmers are supposed to be following because I can guarantee you there's people out there not following them. And you can call them out on it. You can call um, the DEQ, the Department of uh, Environmental Qualities. I think it's changed, though. I think it's DEA now, which is mm-hmm. Department of Environmental Agriculture, maybe. I don't know. But look at that book that I mentioned or that uh, the title 130 because it goes into depth and it tells you you know, it has a bunch of definitions in it, too, like defining what a confinement operation is and the difference between small, medium and large confinement operations and everything like that. And I would highly recommend to look at it, you know, because it's about laws, basically. It's very long, but it's interesting to just like scan through it and be like, oh, farmers aren't supposed to, you know, spread fertilizer this close to a water runoff source. OK, that's, you know, important to know. <laughs> Stuff like that. It's the DE, Department of environment and energy now yeah so call on them rat some people out do what you need to do to keep (laughs) the environment safe and that pertains to air water land Mm -hmm. and energy yeah but maybe okay instead of just straight up ratting someone out maybe you should talk to them and be like hey i've noticed you're doing this you probably shouldn't be and then if you see them doing it again (laughs) rat them out (laughs) well and it's been a while since i was in that class again because i you know in march we got sent home and i was taking this during that semester and we didn't nearly go in depth as we've wanted to because we weren't in class anymore. Just didn't have the ability. Yeah. And just understanding that accidents do happen. And some people aren't aware that these are the laws because... I think your point being that laws change pretty frequently. So yeah. sometimes it's hard to keep track of whether you're doing it right or wrong. Yeah. And especially with like chemicals, just staying up to date on what's safe everything and with what's that. well i think that's going to be the end of our podcast um this is our second to last podcast guys mm-hmm. um next uh two and, weeks yeah. from now is going to be our last podcast and it's going to be with talking with the center for rural affairs yep i talked to um andrea hartman from the center of rural affairs and she talks with me a little bit about what the center for rural affairs does and kind of her job there and 
um, just their different policies and resources that they use to help people, especially in small rural communities and in farming communities. So it's really interesting. And then we'll talk a little bit about mental health and how COVID, natural disasters and things can kind of make a bigger impact than it might seem um, on people either personally or just um, in general. So it's an interesting conversation and I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzals, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge and listen to KWSC 91.9 The Cat on thecat.wsc.edu. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Solo Acoustic Guitar by Jason Shaw, found on Free Music Archive on freemusicarchive.org. The song was edited for the purpose of this podcast.